Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Bad Beats episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about to make the legendary worst deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith, owner of Royal Legal Solutions. Uh, your home for everything real estate asset protection oriented. And I am uh, here today with Mitch, a good friend of mine. He's going to be sharing with us his uh, worst deal. So Mitch, thanks you for coming. And what do you think uh, our listeners need to know about uh, you, know, you to be able to understand this worst deal you're going to share with us? Uh, <laughs> that I have a hiney and you two can see it. And, uh, 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 you know, it happens to the best of us and it happens more often to the worst of us. So even the, even, even, even seasoned people get into predicaments. And I think what happens is as you get bigger, you get bolder. And so you start trying some things that are out of your wheelhouse and then you start learning new lessons. Can you tell us about the, how big, how big you are, Mitch? I don't know if everybody necessarily knows the, the success that you've had to be able to appreciate how big of a blunder this worst deal really was. Well, I mean, I, I don't know to say how big because it's just like the gunslinger. You know, it doesn't take very long to find a faster gun down the street if you keep, you know, challenging people. But uh, for whatever it's worth, I've been down the road long enough to, to know how not to make mistakes in the venue that I function in. I've, I've bought over 1,500 houses in my hometown of San Antonio, Texas since 1996. I buy about 100 houses a year. Um, I got really good at raising private money. I have about $12, $13 million worth of private money, and I can't buy enough houses, so I started um, uh, loaning money out to my competitors who found deals before I did, uh, and this is how I got into this particular predicament, um, was I was, was confronted with the, the choice to make a loan, and I should have turned it down, but I didn't, and... Um, it, it, even this loan wasn't in my wheelhouse. I loaned money on little mom and pop houses, little Walmart houses for Walmart people's my business. That's what I do. And it seems like every time I get out of my lane, I get hit by a Mack truck. That's a good lesson right there. You stay in your lane, right? Do what you know how to do. Stay in your lane. Yeah. So in, on, the, on the deal itself, um, you know, before, before you actually started getting involved in the deal, like what, what leads up to that? It sounds like you're having some success in other parts of your life. Does it start to feel uh, like boring for you? Like why ever venture out of your lane? Well, I had already, you know, I've been in the house flipping business since 1996. I'd been in the loan business since 2005 and it was going very well. Um, the house business, I had been through a recession before. I knew what that felt like and I knew what that smelled like and I knew how to handle it. The loan business, I had never been through a recession before, you know, so um, uh, I failed to kind of take into consideration when that might happen in that business because I was so comfortable in the house business and not worried about a recession in the house business that I guess that kind of bled over into the loan business and I didn't think about it. Um, so what was even worse was uh, we got a call to, to loan on 15 residential lots in a very high-end gated subdivision where the lots were, you know, like 120, $130,000 a piece. They were like acre lots. And 
that's where everything started to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, so just to, so I can catch up. And so what we have going on is that you're doing really well with your real estate. You're making loans in a lot of different capacities, um, you know, since before, before this, the worst deal or, or the string of. Well, I was only making loans on, I was only making loans on houses that I, you know, and I knew, I know the houses in my neighborhood for heaven's sakes, I've bought 1500 of them. I know what every street's worth practically. So I was loaning on little houses, but this thing came up that was outside of the box and it was a, a million dollar loan on 15 residential lots. It was just to be a bridge. So how is that a different, so it sounds, is this really like an issue where it's like there's different risk profiles and you thought, Hey, it's houses, it's houses. So what's the difference of well, the risk? I'll tell you not? exactly what the difference is. Yeah. If you can't sell your house, what can you do with it? Well, I mean, you can rent it. Yeah. Light it on fire. You know, collect no, you can rent it. Yeah. You can rent it. Right. If yeah. you can't sell your lot, what can you do with it? You can eat it. Yeah. That's the difference. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, so I, I'm talking to my partner. I'm going, this isn't what we do. You know, we don't loan million dollars on lots. He says, well, it's just for a bridge loan. Cause the, the, the developer has all of the, all of the, um, lots sold to all the builders. They're just trying to, he, but he's getting ready to go out of contract and the, and he needs to extend his contract another few days so that he can get all these closings with all the builders and then pay us back. And of course, there was a very handsome reward at the end of it. Two things. It was way big. Well, three things. It was way bigger than I'd ever loaned on anything before. Like way bigger. My average loan is on a little thousand square foot, 1,200, 1,500 square foot house. You know, my average loan is between 50 and 150,000. This is a million dollars. My average collateral is a house, which I didn't stop to think about, but if you can't sell your houses, you can rent them. So you can still mitigate your, 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 you know, cause I do all this with borrowed money. Even the money that I'm lending is borrowed money. So, but on a lot, if you can't sell your lot, you're just going to have to make the payments. There's no way to recoup any money, especially in a high dollar subdivision with lots of restrictions, $250 a month association dues, 250 a month taxes out the wazoo racking up. And then you, you, well, I mean, I see that. And I was just wondering about that as to say that is that are those things, those are obviously things that you only, you appreciate now. Right. But at the time you look to get into the deal, it's a very different scenario, right? Because it's, you're looking at, you're looking at different representations that people are telling you, Hey, this is, you know, it's a surefire thing. It's going to be a short amount of time and they're dangling a big carrot in your face about like, yeah, hey, that's exactly that. what's happening. And I, yeah. and I'm, and I'm kind of like dragging my feet going, you know, it's not really what I want to do, but you know, and then the, then the, the kiss of death, he said, well, what's the chances we'd get them all back? I said, okay. I mean, you know, I'm looking at like, if they all go bad, you know, million dollars, all of them. And then, so you ready to hear what happened? Sure. Yeah. Let us know, Mitch. What's up? What happened? So we made the loan and 30 days later, countrywide, which was the, the, the company that, um, which was the company that when they went bankrupt, it rang the bell for the recession. Remember when Countrywide said they're insolvent, that rang the bell in the recession of the 2009 whatever started. I mean, and it started fast. Within, within like 15 days, every bank in the world was drying up and everyone started confessing that they were insolvent too. And 
so within 30 days, I had every lot back, all of them. And no one walked on those lots for two and a half years because the banks just weren't loaning any money. Do you remember 2009, 10, 11? I mean, I knew people that had 850, 880 credit scores trying to buy houses, not from me, but they were friends of mine trying to buy their own house or upgrade to the house. And they just wouldn't give them a loan. They just kept asking for more pieces of paper. They would not give a loan. They wouldn't tell you no, but they wouldn't give you a loan. And so here I am trying in a, in a million dollar, you know, the average priced house in this subdivision was 750,000. The average that market is the first market to die right in the recession. And so here I was, we had a million dollars that we owed um, every month on This is how bad it is. I'm going to ask you to get out your calculator and do the math or I'll get out mine or something because I, I've never wanted to add it up. What was 8,000 a month is what I owed. Mm-hmm. 8,000 a month. And then for how many months? Two and a half years, you said, right? No, no one walked. I didn't sell my first lot out of the 15 until two years and, and six months. That was the first lot. And it was four years before I sold all the lots. Yeah, wow. So it's, it's about like 30 months. And then 8,000 a month for 30 months is what you're paying? Yeah, yeah. Can I add That's it up? incredible. Yeah, was that like almost a quarter million dollars, right? I think it's more than that. It's not. It's not thirty months. Four years is forty. Is forty-eight months. Yeah, yeah for forty-eight. Yeah, well, it's, well, I mean, it's like five times like two million. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's a lot yeah, more money I than. Can't stop! I don't even want to hear it. Nah, yeah, nah, nah, I was gonna nah. say. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody can do the math. I don't know. Great partner. I had a great partner. There's some good news in it. I mean, I mean, it's really good news because I'm really blessed, but. Because during the good times, I didn't buy boats in extraordinary big houses. And I mean, I lived in the same house for 27 years. It's been paid for for 15. You know, um, my cars are paid for. I take good, I'm a good steward of my money and I live pretty, pretty dang frugal um, for, as, for as wealthy as I am. I, I'm ridiculously frugal. Um, I'm starting to loosen up a little bit these days because I'm getting older and it's like, well, what am I saving it for? But but the good news was, A, I had a partner that took on half of it. So the 8000 I had $4,000 a month responsibility for that, $8,000. And, and he was lucky he had a good partner that didn't leave him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we hung in there. Second of all, we were both blessed because even though we were both spending $4,000 a month apiece for a long time and not getting anything to show for it, and it was worse than that. Plus, there was $250 a month um, uh, association dues, and there was huge taxes that we weren't having to pay every month, but they were, they were mounting up. You know, they were accumulating. And um, the good, the, one of the other pieces of good news was it didn't affect my lifestyle one bit because I had been a good steward of my money my whole life. And though I was taking this hit that was very unpleasant, it didn't change one iota what I ordered at the restaurant or what I drove or how far I could drive or if I could fill up my tank of gas, it didn't affect me one bit. It so just, you, in one way you look at it, Mitch, is that, <laughs> that was actually a good, I mean, you could, you could look at it and say the gamble turned out bad, right? For sure the gamble turned out bad, but it was a gamble that you actually had inside of your ability to make, right? Because it didn't affect your life 
that was money you could like if you were in vegas it's like money you could afford to lose almost right yeah, yeah i mean yeah i hate to even say it like that but yeah I, you know I, why don't take gambles that i can't afford to take a licking on you know what i mean that's why a lot of people go out and do these really big deals and they feel like they're not really a mover or shaker if they don't do big deals i disagree i do hundreds and hundreds of little deals that add up to be a big thing but not any one or any 50 of them can kill me well the big deals are usually ego driven right it's like people that are trying to take it and say oh i want to make a 30 percent return on a million dollars and and typically there's a reason why they're offering you that much right you know because if they could offer less to somebody then they would do it you know I, maybe right. and that but the, there's the, the the tricky part that comes in for me around like on your story is that there are great deals that come along that are outside of the lane that we all consider to take from time to time. And we can't say I'm never going to do anything outside of my lane, no matter how good the deal is. Um, but there's, yeah, but you should, you should, like you should, you should team up with a person that's been in that lane forever. My partner and I had never loaned money on residential development, high end dollar lots. We had never really loaned money on any kind of lots or any kind of land whatsoever. So because if I would have been with someone in the residential big lot arena, they might have said, you know, there's some smell in the air of recession, and this is the wrong time to jump into this right now because if, if the recession hits while you're holding this land, you're going to be stuck eating it. Someone in, the, in the, that lane would have maybe explained that risk to me. Yeah. I just didn't. I'd never been in that lane, and I wasn't, I had never thought about what happens in a recession to land. That's fantastic, Mitch. And what a great, what a great uh, reminder here is about how important it is to be able to, uh, when you're first getting involved in any type of real estate transaction, to always partner with somebody else that's experienced in that area in some degree. Because yeah, it could it could have been right? like an apartment co complex renovation. Same thing would have happened. You say, well, what can happen to apartments? But if if you have, if you buy a hundred unit apartment complex and none of them are rentable because you have a big rehab, and then all of a sudden you, the recession hits. And the bank says, we're not, we don't want to do this rehab loan anymore. I mean, you sitting there, you know, but, but if you're, if you're with a guy that's done 15 or a hundred apartment complexes, you know, maybe the story's different. Right. It may be the story's different. Right. And it might be the same story because that guy might not see it either. Right. Because recessions are, for example, are kind of sometimes can be hard yeah, to, but, to see, but, but you know, but if he's that big and been in the apartment business, yeah. he knows someone that'll maybe that will bring some money, even though we might have to pay a little bit more, we won't get stopped. Yeah. 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 Well, it gives you the best chance to success, right. It's dealing with some people that have bigger networks and experience and that, and that lane. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, all the banks during that time, what they were having to do was the um, the federal powers that be, I guess, what do you call them? The underwriters or the, the, uh, the regulators was making every bank divest of their exposure in real estate. So everyone was getting a call, even me, even when that happened, my, my bank called me and said, we're having to divest our exposure in real estate and your share is a million dollars. And, and so along with that land deal going sideways and me having that negative cash flow, the bank called me and said, they're calling $1 million of my $5 million that I owed them on credit lines because they needed to divest by a certain percentage. And I was told that that was my percentage that I had, you know, eight months to get them back a million dollars. So there was a lot of problems happening during that time. It wasn't just one problem. How do you deal with the stress of going when you're in the middle of something like that? Like, how do you cope with that? 
you you wake up early and you go to bed late and you attack your problem head on and you stay so busy confronting your problems that you don't have time to be worried about it. Yeah. How do you, um, I mean, did, you action, did you have any overcomes fear? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Like just by being busy enough and working at it kind of puts your mind at ease that you don't, you don't stress about it in that same way of being worried or nervous. Yeah. Well, you know, when the, when the bank called the million dollars due, they actually gave me a year. I picked up the phone and within uh, 20 phone calls, I had a, I had a million dollars worth of private people to replace that the, every single house that, that, that you know, I, I could get out of a million dollars from the bank. I just moved it over to private people. And the bank said to me, well, I did it like in 15 days. And that's one of the reasons I don't stress a lot because I know I have private money behind me. It'll cost me 8% instead of 4%, but that's not the issue. <laughs> Sometimes it's just about how, how long can I stay, keep my head above water and stay alive till it, till the bad time passes. You know what I mean? And so that's actually, um, like a resource that you've actually culminated over the years, having a network of people that you can pull money from. Yes. And, and I have over $12 million out on the street right now in San Antonio, Texas, but, and people say, well, you're big enough and, and, and good enough and have a 22 year track record now. And you're so solvent and you're, you're so strong. Why don't you just replace them all with 4% money? And I said, because when the, when the recession comes again, I'll be screwed. I have to keep a balance between private money and bank money because when the banks shut down, I'm not, I'm not going to go out of business. So, Absolutely. so people say, how come you have so much 8% money? I said, it's there for a reason, brother. It's a hedge against the next recession. When the recession hits and the banks all close up, I'm not going to be out of business. I'm going to still be in business. I won't be in business with 4% money, but I still be in business with 8% money. Yeah. And, and when you're having to go through that time, that time period, the stressful time period when you're, um, you know, everything's going sideways on you and you're having to wake up early and stay late and work your ass off during the day. Do you have a particular uh, routine that you follow that helps you? Like, do you work out early in the morning or, or have other practices that you put in place to help, you know, stay fresh? Cause I think a lot of people and myself included have had to put in, you know, particular types of routines to not burn out you know, the burnout. You can only sustain a super high pace for a sprint extended period of time so do you have a process that you use with that of the way you structure your day or I absolutely or do. it's not very complicated okay. I get on my knees and pray for help in the morning and I pray for help when I go to sleep to give me strength and show me some show me some way out of this I'm gonna be out there thrashing and digging and looking and turning over every rock just show me a way out and there you go that's fantastic Mitch I mean uh, I think it's it's one of those things that you find from um, high-level people that uh, really know how to work. Everybody seems to have a system, you know, that they work for them. And I wish it, I worked out. I, I, you know, I worked out once 1976, I think it was. Yes. It was about 1976. I worked out. Uh, <laughs> That's all thing, you needed. I did it once and I'm in great shape. That's it. <laughs> the, other, the other thing I don't do or I stop doing is, you know, I like to have fun and I enjoy my beverage of choice. Um, when times get tough, I, 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 I stop, I stop drinking. I stop have, I stop doing all that stuff, the fun stuff. I, I stay focused. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's smart. It helps keep your head clear and keeps your energy up.
Um, yeah. you, you see yeah. that a lot too. It's a big trend actually with uh, younger entrepreneurs now as well. That's like one of the big pieces they talk about. You got to cut out, they cut out the junk food. You got to start working out. Like the health is essential to be able to keep your mind right and keep your energy up to be able to do what you need to do. Because when the, the stressful times hit, if your body gives out or your mind gives out, you know, those are the only tools you got, right? To be able to work yeah. your way out of it. Well, I'm starting to, you know, thank God for the millennials and all that, but I'm, I'm finally hitting that thing where I'm running out of energy at 57 because at 20 and 25 and 30, I didn't need to work out for energy. I, I needed to work out to burn energy if that's the only reason I would need to do it. But now as I'm getting a little bit older, the diet and the working outs um, actually on my mind, like I'm going to do it any day now. <laughs> Yeah. One of these days I just started boxing in the mornings. I do an hour of boxing every day, right next to the yeah, office. Just wake up in the morning, get the crap beat out of you. Now let's go to work. Yeah. I tell you, it really sparks you up for the day when you come into the office and you're all like banged up and you're like, I already did three rounds this morning. There's nothing that's going to hit me harder today than that. My coaches, you know, cross. Oh, that's funny. Man. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, Mitch, I wanted to say thank you for coming on the show today. We, we typically always do like a lesson learned um, from, you know, from your story today. What would you say is uh, like a lesson learned of, from your experience that you would want everybody to walk away with? Well, the lesson from this story was um, raw land is an alligator if, if you get stuck with it. And maybe you need to mitigate how much of that raw land you take in. Even today, I buy lots and I'm owner financing them. But I'm very conscious of how many lots that I have that I'm financing to people. Lots or small tracts of land, like two or three acres or five acres or 10 acres. I, I buy them just like houses and owner finance those. And I like it a lot. But I'm very conscious of how much I have in my inventory. Because if a recession hits, I, I always imagine, well, what if they all quit paying me? What am I going to do? Um, this is a little bit different because these lots and these land are affordable to everybody you know they're affordable and they're in they're in their rural and you know everybody wants a little piece out in the country so that's what I'm looking for but when my inventory starts to get too high in raw land I'll sell off half my notes and pay off the other half of my debt so I own all this land I, the land that I'm left owning is free and clear so if everybody walks it's no big deal well wow. you know when I hear your story Mitch one of the um one of the best pieces that, that strikes me about it is about how you can still make uh, a great amount of money doing real estate while doing things very conservatively. If you just, if you do it the right way, you know, if you work your ass off and you do it the right way, cause it seems like you, you've done really well. Of course, you're really active in the deals, but the, the types of strategy that you're using are, are I think are probably more on the conservative end of the spectrum. Like you're thinking all the way. You know? There's no doubt I'm conservative. I won't borrow more than 65% of what I can owner finance the house for. I average 58% LTV. Yeah. You know, and, and I've lost on six houses in my career to a grand total of about $60,000, $70,000. Luckily, they all didn't happen in the same year, but even if they did, it's like one or two, one or two in the first, the first 10 years I would lose on because I would make some mistakes. But I would... I was doing a hundred houses a year. So, you know, so I had 99 winners and one loser. It was still a great year, you know? And the other thing is, is I don't let my losers stack up. I handle them right now. I don't put them off or put them off. I just, when I have a loser, I either load them up and, and, and 
what take the mitigate my negative and then hang on to that negative until um, times turn the great thing about real estate is is you can make a bad deal and sell it and owe a hundred dollars more than what you're collecting but if you just hang around long enough something's going to happen and they'll pay it off or they'll or they won't pay and then you get a chance to foreclose and restart over again at a new a, a, a value you know so and then the ones that are just you can't do anything about you just get out your checkbook and you write a check right then and you say there's no way to ride this one out i just it's just going to get worse and worse and worse if i don't pay it off right now and you just pay it off you just you just got to write a check so that year you made x amount minus whatever that check was and hopefully it's still a great year Absolutely, Mitch. And if, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, um, who are you looking to, to connect with and what's the best way for them to, to get a hold of you? Uh, you know, I have a podcast, reinvestorsummit.com. I have a website with tons of free material. Uh, you can go to 1000houses.com, 1000houses.com and click on the tab that says free stuff. I have free webinars, free 100 pages of my book, free, you know, chance to listen to an hour and a half Q&A session so you can hear what goes on during that with my students. Uh, um, you know, I give away the farm, really, and a lot of the gurus out there, I hate the word gurus, but a lot of them out there say, you know, you're giving away, these people can launch a whole career from what you give to them. I say, you know, that's fine with me. That's fine with me if you're that kind of personality. I still think the kind of people that I want to work with recognize that I'm still going to be able to shortcut them, even though I gave them everything. Reading something and having an expert hold your hand through a process is two different things. Uh, Mitch, I feel like we're, uh, you know, we're, we're almost twins here in our way approach to things. Cause I get away the farm with exactly what everything I do with my tax and legal strategies and what we do with asset protection work. And I'm constantly told, Scott, you give away way too much information. You know, you give away for free. You're going to have other attorneys that are going to rip you off or do whatever. And I tell everybody, it's like, no, nah, the, the name of this game is that you actually let all of the information out people will still get to come to you left and right because they can say, here's somebody else that's done it before that knows actually how to turn the screws to make the thing actually work right. Right. Yeah. They have the tools. Like, I can show you how to build, you know, the finest cabinet dresser drawers on the planet, but if you don't have the right tools, it ain't going to do any good. And if you just, I mean, if you've never done it before, it's just not going to work out right the first time it never does, you know? So yeah. There's a, you, you're going to pay one way or the other. You're going to pay the street or you're going to pay the guy. <laughs> That's awesome, Mitch. Well, thank you uh, so much, uh, everybody. This is uh, Mitch Steven. It's uh, the Dave Ramsey of, of, of real estate with us here today for conservative <laughs> uh, growth from what I'm I can the tell. Daisy. I'm the Ram Daisy. Really. <laughs> uh, of course, I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with uh, the Real Estate Nerds podcast um, and uh, with, you know, course my company royal legal solutions your home for asset protection for real estate investors so thank you mitch and everybody else uh, have a great day and uh, we'll see you next time that's all for this bad beats episode i'm your host scott royal smith with the real estate nerds podcast did you see yourself in any part of that story i know i did if you enjoyed the show leave a review to help clue in the sleeping masses of what they need to know and what we all need reminders of do your good deed for the day Thanks, and I'll see you again soon.